we were lucky enough to get big funding from the Economic and Social Research Council, which, if you don't know, is one of the government research councils, for a three-year project to look at media education in practice. And I think fair to say that although many people here have done <coughs> research in media classrooms, this was really the first big scale, certainly in England, the first big scale project to look systematically, particularly to look systematically across the age range at what goes on in, in media classrooms. To give a, a very quick sense of the context, although much of this you'll, you'll know, I mean, it's, it'd be interesting for people and possibly debatable that you know, we've gone back to the key concepts model of media education. It's actually 25 years since people first, I think, started talking about that. And we're all so old now. Um, but, you know, that model has been around for a long time. And one of our questions is, in a sense, well, is that still useful? I think we feel it is. Um, since that time, since the mid-80s, that was the moment of the <coughs> And we've seen A-level. We've seen, in a way, certainly the top end of secondary school media studies as a subject become um, institutionalised in, in many settings. <coughs> we've also seen last ten years, eight years, I suppose, since the Communications Act, media literacy as an imperative within regulatory policy. That, I think, is now beginning to fade away, and there's another story to be told there. But... Certainly, that's something that's, that's been part of the climate for a while. Um, in primary, inevitably less happening, as we know. Um, a lot of talk about changing definitions of literacy and some interesting work done on that that's inspired us. But meanwhile, literacy has changed in other ways in the practice of, of primary education. And not really very much connection between people talking about media literacy at the level of regulatory <coughs> policy and what's happening and being talked about at the level of education policy. So a bit of a gap there. So what we have, I think, are a, a set of terms um, to define what we, we might be doing here, which are potentially kind of overlapping but, but perhaps also contradictory. Media education, media studies, media literacy, media arts, also as, as we'll, we'll talk about, moving image education, all of these things overlapping but perhaps referring to slightly different things. Meanwhile, a whole series of other imperatives that potentially impinge upon but also provide opportunities for media education. The push to get technology in schools, um, the whole uh, wave of argument around creativity, um, citizenship as a compulsory subject, all potential spaces where media education might happen. Then changes in the media environment, media 2.0, so-called, and certainly some people who've argued for media education 2.0, that changes in the media environment imply a need for changes in what we do um, in media education. And then also, I think not to forget that all of this happens in a context of bigger changes in education policy. So the emphasis on performance and targets and standards a kind of perhaps contradictory situation of, on the one hand, centralisation, centralised curriculum, centralised testing, but on the other hand, a much more marketised system with different types of schools, different categories of, of teachers emerging. So that's the, the context in, in which this happens. Um, I think certainly in the media literacy debate, there's been a sense that, OK, you know, yes, we, we agree that media education should happen... And then at that point, several people seem to stop talking about it. You know, teachers, teachers can get on with that. It's not really our concern. 
Um, I think we feel that it's important to, to understand what goes on in classrooms and particularly to understand the, the reality of that, which is something we still fondly refer to here. You remember reality? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of rhetoric over the years, actually, for many, many years, has been generated around media education. But many of us have a sense of a gap between the rhetoric and the reality. And we're interested in, in yes, what really happens, you know, empiricists that we are. Um, we're interested particularly in looking at learning um, rather than just teaching. Lots of things one can read tell teachers how to teach, but very often don't look at what any of that means from the perspective of, of learners. Certainly in our research, we were looking, trying to look at everyday practice. There has been research, more particularly, I guess, around technology, where people move in with vast amounts of kit, lots of people, you know, two adults for every student, you know, ten computers for every student. And, of course, you know, wonderful things can happen um, in that sort of situation. But, you know, that is not the real world. That is a kind of showcase. And what we are interested in looking at is, is what happens in, in everyday practice or what can happen in everyday practice. That means, I think, that we're not simply interested in kind of holding up a model of good practice and saying, that's really wonderful, you know, copy that. I think we're, we're interested in looking at what works and what doesn't work in particular real-life settings. Now, lots of big issues and, and theories that one could bring to bear on this, and I'm going to spray names of, of some dead white men around at this point, or at least very old white men, um, because these are, you know, this is where we come to um, to this issue with a, you know, a set of issues. Uh, as you saw, our title used this word progression. And I guess there is a question about well, what, what do we mean by progression? How do we understand progression? Do we think about progression in learning in terms of ages and stages, a developmental model? Do we alternatively, as I think we would prefer, think about it in terms of um, the idea of the spiral curriculum, Bruner's idea that we can come up against um, forms of, of learning um, in, a, in a spiral way, that it's possible to teach anything in, in an intellectually respectable way, as Bruno puts it, at any age. How do we understand learning, and particularly how do we understand the kind of conceptual learning that goes on in media education that we're interested in? And I guess here, you know, the, the dead white man here would be Vygotsky. Um, you know, looking at Vygotsky's ideas about the role of language... Um, and then thinking, well, okay, you know, that's verbal language. When we talk about media languages, how does that fit within a model of conceptual understanding? These are ideas that many of us have been working with for a long time. I think we, we have some more to say about that in the context of this research. Another theme here would be around multiple literacies. So we're working typically in media classrooms across media or across modes of communication, um, and there's a you know that's a, again a body of work that we can draw on the multimodality work, but also the work around new literacies, um, the, the the view of literacy as a social practice, which is often aligned with that. I think these are rather different sets of arguments, but but that's a body of work to draw upon. And related to that, although different again and more psychological in focus. Um, Howard Gardner's ideas about multiple intelligences. This is all around in, in the kind of body of ideas we're drawing on. Culture. 
um, and particularly ideas about cultural capital. Um, again, these ideas that have been around, when, particularly when we look at, as we do in this project, media education in very different socio-cultural settings, where kids arguably come to media teaching, to, to, to media education, with different kinds of cultural capital, with different tastes <coughs> and preferences, with perhaps different orientations towards critical discourse about media. So um, Bourdieu would be one source of, of ideas around that. And then um, also the question of, of what counts as knowledge in the media classroom, what kinds of discourse are favoured and, 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 and valued in the media classroom and what kinds of knowledge are not. And I guess there, you know, the, the key name would be Basil Bernstein. So, you know, some, some big names in, in education theory, which I think are, are bodies of work that we can draw upon in trying to illuminate what goes on in media classrooms. And we're not going to kind of wax on about all of this, but these are ideas that will come, come up both explicitly and implicitly in what we, we talk about today. So how does any of that then apply to, to media education? Well, we have got this problem of understanding learning progression. We want to look at what would it be like for kids to learn about media right the way through their, their school career. Now, can we think about that in terms of development? Can we think about it in terms of ages and stages? Is it more about kids widening experience, widening social and cultural experience, experience of media? Um, the elephant in the room, in a way, is, is the issue of assessment. So if we're talking about progression, um, we inevitably have to have ways of, of assessing or evaluating the kinds of learning that go on. Um, are we talking, though, about something that we can... We can assess in a mechanical way, or are we talking rather more about, and an idea from Vygotsky would be zones of proximal development. How do we get kids from what they know now um, to what they might um, need to know and be moving on to know next? So a pedagogical dimension. So that's one of the issues that we've been, been wrestling with. Key concepts, yes. I mean, people arguing, starting to argue now that these Concepts that we've been working with for, for, as I say, 25 years plus, are those concepts, media language, um, institution, representation, audience, that we're all familiar with, are they still relevant and, and useful, not least in a changing media environment? So does that still work? Um, media education, as we know, involves theory and practice, or in terms of those C's, creativity, and critique, and for many, many, many years, we've talked about and wrestled with the problem, really, of how we bring those things together. How do we make the critical analysis speak to the creative production, and vice versa? Um, making that dialogue happen, I think we know, is is complicated and difficult. Um, and then, yes, this question of culture and how that maps out in the media classroom, how it maps out in a context where media audiences are fragmenting, that we have access to a, a widening, proliferating range of media, but perhaps we've moved beyond a position where the, there was a common culture, a shared culture of media. What we're seeing is much more diversity among media audiences. Um, we're seeing arguments certainly about cultural change, the digital generation argument, um, but I think also issues of class, of social class difference are still around here. 
um, and they play out in media classrooms. So some of those big ideas, I think, work through in media education or have implications for media education um, in particular ways. So what did we do? Um, that was our, our research. And really, you know, if I can translate it into a very simple research question, it would be this. You know, what and how can students learn about media over time? It seems very simple, but actually, as we'll see, um, quite complicated. It's a question that begs lots of other questions. What we did was to look at media education at four age points through this. So we, we started with a group, uh, two groups of, of year two students, followed them into year three, same with year four, year eight, year, year ten. Um, so a cross-sectional dimension, we're looking at cross-sections at, at different ages, but it also to some extent is longitudinal, so we're following the same groups over a two-year period. Um, we worked with um, two specialist media art schools, secondary schools, and their partner primary schools, and many of the teachers that we work with from those schools are um, pleased to say here today. Um, so they'll be able to tell you if we're talking bullshit. Um, and they were in two, uh, I think, you know, quite contrasting locations, a broadly uh, middle class, broadly working class catchment. And I, I think in some ways quite, you know, very, very different indeed, almost at two opposite ends of the, um, the social scale. And I think that, that is also something that we'll, um, we'll come back to. So what did we do? Um, well, we first of all, we began in the first year by doing a kind of audit, really. We did a big-scale survey um, online, so the complete nightmare. Um, then lots of, of interviews, um, both with teacher, um, particularly with teachers, and then followed that up um, in, in the beginning of year two by doing some more sort of focus group activities with kids. Um, and then what we did over the remainder of the project was to develop... And, and roll out six units of classroom work. Now, this, in some cases, was a matter of two or three hours of classroom work, in some cases um, much bigger than that. Um, <coughs> some of this work went on for a, for a very long time. Um, as I say, we started with a couple of sort of baseline activities, more kind of focus group, more really trying to find out what was going on for kids. We did a, an activity that involved... Um, discovering an imaginary time capsule with um, media artefacts from the 1950s, which was opened and kids were invited to kind of explore and, and make sense of what was there, and then later on um, construct their own time capsule to be buried for people 50 years in the future. Second activity we did was around advertising, and here what the aim was to get kids looking at an unfamiliar text. In this case, it was an ad that we got from the English Media Centres doing ads pack. Um, and they did a range of, of um, activities around that, trying to looking at how they interpreted that text. We're actually not going to talk about any of this stuff today because we have too much to cover. Um, but a lot of stuff came from that, particularly for us trying to get a sense of, OK, what do kids do as they encounter unfamiliar media, media from the 1950s, a text that they've never seen before, what sort of, of resources, what kind of media literacy do they draw upon in trying to kind of make sense and interpret this thing? And we then went on to do a series of 
more developed and elaborate um, teaching units around our four key concepts, and that's what you're going to hear about um, mainly today. So language representation, institution, audience, each of which had a different kind of focus that you'll hear more about. Um, oh, and the other bit that I should add is that I just heard on Tuesday that we've got funding to carry on this work, or more particularly to do uh, what, what the Research Council calls a follow-on project, where basically what we'll be doing is working with our partners on this, English and Media Centre and CLPE, Centre for Literacy in Primary Education, and a couple of our primary schools to develop and publish teaching materials coming out of this. So the outcomes are not just um, you know, learned research articles, um, but also teaching materials that can be used in schools. So I should emphasise, to finish my bit, that this is work still in progress. We have these, these kind of meetings where we try and, and interpret, and we're writing a book about this, and we're, we're struggling. Um, so some of what you're going to see today, I think we, you know, we've talked about a lot and we're, we're clearer about what we think. Some of it is very much the thinking is still in progress. As I've said, you know, we've, we've tried to work with the messy realities of real classrooms and to deal with the logistics of, of what happens in schools. And that is, is complicated. And that means that inevitably what we do is, is you know, we're not in an ideal world here. We're collaborating closely with schools and teachers and, and we're then working with the opportunities they have, the knowledge they have um, and their own teaching styles. So what happens across these locations is, is really very different. Um, and now we are dealing with the mountain of data that we have gathered. So we've got um, videos and audio recordings of what happened in the classrooms, we've got our own observations, we've got bits of kids' work, you know, the endless um, you know, sugar paper stuff, we've got um, bits of video, um, all, all a whole range of, of stuff. And we, we have to find some way of looking at this in a reasonably rigorous way. In particular, we're interested in comparing. We want to compare across the sites that we've worked in, across the age groups that we've worked in, also to compare over time. Um, and we have a dilemma. The dilemma is basically, you know, breadth and depth, depth dilemma. We can look, if you like, superficially across all of the stuff that we've got, but we also want to dig down in, in detail and look at particular instances and look at the complexity of what went on. So that's the, the dilemma that we're facing, really, in trying to kind of make sense of all of this. And hopefully hearing the words come out of our mouths and the... Uh, looking at the PowerPoint slides, it will actually help us with this process. So you're just the kind of audience for our kind of ongoing angst about all of this. Um, so um, what, what you will see then is not evidence of an experiment or a randomised trial which will prove once and for all how wonderful um, media literacy is and, and, and how well it works, but something much more um, complex, I think, than that. And what you'll get today, really, will be no more than a few snapshots of what happened in the different sites. So with those caveats in mind, I will um, hand over now to Andrew um, to talk about the, the first bit, and some findings actually from our survey. So if you click away. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody.